And I wanted to talk this morning about a life fully surrendered to Christ. And this could be something that all of us think, oh, I'm there, but I don't think any of you think that. We all have room to grow, right? And I think you'll be encouraged by this. So what does it mean to live fully devoted to Christ? Well, we're going to get there, but part of that is the abundant life that Christ promised in John 10.10, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. And without him, there is no abundant life. It's all stealing, killing, destroying. It's all emptiness. So he promises something so much more than what this world has to offer. But he calls us to follow him. And until we're in heaven with him, he has work for us to do here. And he has a reason for us to follow him here. If I'm not there, there's a reason for me being here. And that means there's a reason for me to be fully committed to him here today. So every one of us can get something out of this message. So with that, I want to go to Luke 5, 1 through 11. Luke was written by Paul. And, I mean, not by Paul. <laughs> Luke was written by Luke, Paul's traveling companion, who was also a doctor, who is one of the most noted historians of the age. And recently on our radio show, we interviewed Dr. Gary Habermas, and he said that, the, that uh, Acts, the book of Acts alone, has 84 historically confirmed statements. And that obviously was written by Luke as well. So what we read in Luke is right on the money. It's very accurate. He also said that there is a work right now that is coming up with around 100,000 parallels between Acts and that time period in that part of the world. Uh, so it's incredible the number of, and not necessarily 100,000 distinct parallels, but where we see things that Luke referred to mentioned several other times in the ancient world, if that makes sense. He's a renowned historian, and what he tells us is absolutely correct and true. And he even said that in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, that he was saying the exact truth. So we know that this is right on the money, and it directly applies to each one of us. Jesus here is calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and he says... Uh, or in Luke 5, 1 through 11 says, one day, one day Jesus was stand, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So I want to talk about leaving everything and following him and what it means to follow him and become a fisher of men, to live with purpose, to have the impact on this world that he's called us to. So he's called each and every one of us. And what I love about this passage, we see it in verse 3, is that Jesus takes the initiative with these men. This is not the first call to these same men. 
The first call was in Matthew 4.19, and they are different. We'll kind of analyze that in a minute, and I think it's significant for what we're stating. But the point is that Jesus went to them and initiated with them. And he called them again, like he did in Matthew 4.19, to follow him and become fishers of men. And this was a very unique call, and you might know this, but the rabbis of Jesus' day were totally different than this. They waited for the best of the best to come to them, and then they would only select the best from the best of the best to follow them. So they were just looking for the cream of the crop. And the fishermen and other lay people in society were people that long ago had been considered not the best of the best and not worthy of going on to follow the rabbi. And here's Jesus approaching them. And he's not coming to them the way the rabbis would. You've heard of the yoke of the rabbis, all their teachings and everything that they demanded of their followers. And we read about that even in Acts 15.10. Jesus calls his disciples, us, to something more. In Matthew 11:28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he's coming to them, approaching them in a way that nobody else did in this society, and he's calling them to follow him in a way that nobody else followed a rabbi in this society. This was very dramatic. And Jesus called them for this purpose, for his purpose of seeking and saving the lost, of, making, of, of becoming fishers of men. This was interesting. Craig Keener notes that like Moses' experience as a shepherd, David's as a commander, and Joseph's as an administrator, the background of these disciples as fishermen can provide them a perspective that will help them for their new task. Fishermen were brave. They had to brave stormy seas and all these types of things. They're fearless. They're perseverant and persevered even when they didn't catch fish, as happened the night before this passage. And they were determined. They were faithful. They knew how to work as a team. Again, that's exemplified in this very passage. And it was with those characteristics in mind that Jesus called them to come and follow him and become fishers of men. And I want to make a note that each one of you are the same way. When Jesus called you, it wasn't just because he randomly thought he'd call Dean. <laughs> he saw in Dean unique characteristics that he put in Dean that he wants to use for his purpose of reaching this world for himself. So you're unique. You're not just random. You're not just average. You're unique, and he's called you for a purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read that no part of the body is insignificant. And that's truly the case. Every one of you are significant for his purpose. And his call to follow him involves becoming capable of fulfilling that purpose through his power. So, again, he chose the average things of this world. The fishermen weren't considered the best of the best. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.27 that he chooses the foolish things of this earth to shame the wise. He's not looking for the best by this world's standards. He's looking for the willing. He's looking for anyone that will say, here am I, like Isaiah said. Send me. I'll follow you. I'll do what you have. I don't have to necessarily be frank. I don't have to necessarily be these musicians we heard last weekend. I just have to be me and willing to follow you and do what you have for me. So with that in mind, I want to ask you to think about what excuses keep you from fully committing to Christ. We all have these. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not strong enough, rich enough, smart enough well-placed enough, I don't have enough opportunities. We all have these excuses 
that run through our minds that keep us from fully committing to him and following him in the purpose that he has for us. So I want to challenge you, and I'm right there with you today, to say enough of believing those lies. I want to follow him and be used however he wants. I want to be a fisher of men. I want to accomplish the purpose that he put me here for. I don't want to believe those lies that keep me from that. And with that in mind, following him begins with listening to him. We pick up this story in Luke 5 with the people listening to the word of God. And Jesus was teaching, and that was important. But just hearing, just learning is not enough. It it goes past that. We could learn forever and still come up short of what we're talking about today. In Mark 1, 21 through 39, and also in Luke 4, we see the people of Capernaum and Galilee hearing Jesus' teaching, seeing him perform miracles. I don't know necessarily what these disciples saw, and both those happened right after this first call, again in 419, and then we see his teaching in Capernaum in verses 31 through 39. I don't know what they may have heard him speak on. I like to... Imagine that maybe it was Matthew 25 where Jesus talked about the parable of the talents, right? Maybe uh, where he talked about the kingdom of heaven. This was obviously a major theme in what Jesus shared about. Whatever he talked about, a lot of the people of Capernaum and Galilee chose not to follow. Later we read in scripture that they were full of unbelief. And his disciples as well went back to fishing. And we know this because... Luke 5 is preceded by Jesus' teaching in Capernaum and Galilee and other instances as well. The bottom line, though, is whether it was because of difficult teaching, which drove some disciples away, or whether it was because of peer pressure, again, Capernaum's unbelief, or maybe it was because of their good jobs. Even though they were average people, these fishermen had a lot invested in their jobs, right? They had boats, they had nets, they had some hired men we read elsewhere in scripture. So maybe it was their careers. But for whatever reason, it was hard to fully commit to following Christ, becoming fishers of men, and it was easier just to keep doing life as usual, which is oftentimes the case for all of us. So we pick up Jesus calling them this second time, and Wearsby explains that they had traveled with him in Capernaum and Galilee, But then they went back to their trade, this whole thing. So we pick him up, coming to them again, again saying, follow me, again saying that he would make them fishers of men. Uh, And he didn't just say, listen to my teaching here. They'd been doing that. But I think this is important. Jesus challenges Peter to take a step of obedience, right? Because here's what happens. If I just have a lot of knowledge without love, we read in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, that I get puffed up. Remember, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Loving obedience will build me up, but knowledge for its own sake will just puff me up and make me proud. Right? We also read in James 1.22 that we should be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. So if we're just hearing all the best teaching in the world, but not putting it into practice, we're going to become proud and deceived. But if we're putting it into practice, obeying what we're learning, obeying what we're hearing in God's word, then we're actually going to grow. Then we're going to see God come through in greater ways than we expected, and it will be that much easier to obey him next time and to put into practice what we learn next time. Does that make sense? So when I persist in not obeying, unbelief becomes easier and easier and easier. But when I 
take a step of faith and obey him, it becomes easier and easier and easier to follow him. Right? That being the case, Jesus calls Peter to put out into deep water and let down his nets for a catch. And Wearsby notes, I had no idea, but this is interesting. It was a well-known fact that in the Sea of Galilee you caught fish at night in the shallow water, not in the daytime in the deep water. So Jesus is calling Peter to do something that sounds crazy to him. It's against what he would expect of the Sea of Galilee. And it's after a fishless night. These men, after a fishless night, obeying him and having the greatest catch probably that they ever had. Unbelievable to the point where the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. This is phenomenal. And with that in mind, they realized and were amazed. Scripture says here that they were astonished by what had happened. That word astonished is thambos in the Greek, and it literally means amazement and wonder. And it was probably connected with a root signifying to, to render immovable. They were stunned. They could not believe what had happened. And it will be the same for us when we live lives of obedience to Christ. I have seen God do more things that we never could have imagined. And it wasn't because we were able, it wasn't because we were all that. We've seen him come through in amazing ways simply because of small steps of obedience. And we see with these disciples what we will see in each of our lives, that when we take him up at his word and follow him and obey him, he will amaze us by coming through the way he claims he will. And what he does is so much more amazing than anything that this world could ever offer. And that's this upward spiral. The downward spiral is, I disbelieve, I don't obey, I see the negative consequences of my own sin, I attribute that to God, like Proverbs says in 19.3, the fool rages against God, right, because of his own sin. It's a downward spiral. The opposite is, I take him up on his word, I obey him, and he comes through in a way nobody else can and surprises me and amazes me and astonishes me with his own goodness, leaving me more excited to follow him. That's this pattern of following him and obeying him, not just hearing, but putting into practice and obeying what I hear and what I learn from him. And that leads us, like the disciples, to a point of saying, I'll leave everything to keep following him. There's nothing that's better than that. There's nothing that's more exciting than following him. And it's not just exciting in a bowl of cherries kind of way. There are hard times. We had some people over recently and they said, wow, it sounds like everything's always going great in your ministry. And I said, honestly, there are some really hard times. And we have some really difficult issues that we have to persevere through. And it's not just all excitement. But at the end of the day, it's all amazing. Because Christ is changing lives in front of us. All right, now when we talk about leaving everything, we see in verse 11, the last verse in this passage, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats to shore, left everything, and followed him. And I want to focus on that word left because it is important here. It's the Greek word aphiaimi, which means left. It meant to send away and release, and it was even used of divorce. Okay? So these disciples were literally willing to divorce themselves from their careers, to divorce themselves from their friends, maybe, that didn't believe in Christ. They were willing to divorce themselves from all this stuff and follow him. To put everything on the line, their business, their respect, 
their self-image to follow him. And he's calling us to that same kind of passion in following him, that same level of commitment to a relationship with himself, right? Every day to having this intimate relationship with him, which when that's missing, everything else is missing, that fellowship with Christ that has to pervade all that I do every day. Otherwise, all of life seems pointless. Paul said everything else is garbage compared to knowing him. He's calling us to that level of friendship with him. He's calling us to obedience daily, like we just mentioned. I'm always encouraged by Elijah on Carmel in 1 Kings 18 saying, if God is God, follow him, right? I often wonder of myself, how long will you waver between two opinions? Like he charged the Israelites, I want to follow him with everything, not half-heartedly, not partially, but with everything. He's also calling us to an abundant life and an eternally significant purpose. And those things only come in radical obedience to him and his call. Unfortunately, so many Christians today are going back to fishing. And they're saying, I'm not ready to take those steps. 1 Corinthians 3.3 talks about carnal Christians that are just like the world. We see that all around us. Matthew 13.22 is when Jesus, sharing the parable of the sower, talks about the cares of this world choking out God's word. That's happened in churches across this country and in people's lives across this country. It's so easy to get so entangled with the cares of this world that I lose sight of the purpose that he's called me to. In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus, describing the end times, said that the love of many would grow cold. And I don't know how close we are to the end, but I know if the love of many growing cold is any indication we're not that far off because the love of so many has grown cold. So many have gone back to fishing. They've left their first love. And he's calling us again, just like he called them again, to radical obedience, to following him, to leaving everything and to being focused on him and what he's called us to alone. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We've all heard that quote, but it's so true. We don't lose anything when we choose to live for him. So many people tell Aaron and I, Oh, it's so amazing how much you guys have sacrificed. And I always think, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's the... That's so crazy. We get so much more in return. I was recently talking with a student that I've been discipling for several years on campus. And his father had spent seven or eight years in ministry. And he's developed a lot of bitterness about those years because he had a very low wage during those years and no retirement during those years and all this. And I encouraged this guy that I'm discipling to encourage his father to think about how much he got during those years that most people never will. He got to influence kids for eight years, to have something that this world could never offer, to have a life of significance. It's not something that could ever be compared with a better 401k or more money in the bank. Right? He was storing up treasure in heaven rather than on this earth, and that's wonderful. But similarly, we can get trapped in those same patterns of thinking and Jesus says in Luke 18, just a few chapters after this one, that those who follow him will receive so much more, both on this earth and in the age to come. And that is so much true. So the application for us to this morning, I think 
a lot of us have gone back to fishing in different ways. Maybe not completely, maybe not verbally saying I don't follow Christ or anything ridiculous like that. But just in our hearts, we've become less enthusiastic about following him, about obeying him, about walking by faith. Our love has grown cold. We've lost sight of our first love, just like the church in Ephesus had done. And Jesus challenged them in Revelation 2 verse 4, saying to return to their first love. Right? And I want that to be my heart, to come back full-hearted, wholehearted to following him. Putting everything on the line to obey him. Divorcing myself from everything that's opposed to him to follow him wholeheartedly. Not being distracted by the cares of this world or other issues. And just like Jesus called these disciples a second time, we even see that after he dies, they're back to fishing again. (laughs) And Jesus calls them again, calls them to obedience again. They see another miraculous fish catch again. And he again calls them, Peter specifically, to feed his sheep, right? To be involved in doing his work as fishers of men. So no matter where we're at today, no matter how many times we've gone back to routine life, he's saying, make fishers of men, or become fishers of men. He's saying, follow me. He's saying, be involved in the purpose that I've called you to. Um, he's calling us to get rid of our nets and to, to put aside everything that would stop us from this life of obedience. So there are three questions to consider today. What do you need to leave? What nets do you need to leave in order to follow him wholeheartedly? For these disciples, it was careers, reputations, friends, family, things like that. And that might be what it is for each of us today. Again, I'd like to ask, what lie do you need to quit believing in order to follow him completely? Maybe I think I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I don't have enough money to make a difference, or... I'm just average. I don't have that many special talents. I'm not good-looking enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not well-liked enough. The list goes on and on. We do crush fear with these students every year, and the insecurities that stop people dead in their tracks are a million-fold. So which one stops you in your tracks? And which one do you need to say, never again am I going to believe that lie, but rather I'm going to follow him wholeheartedly? And finally, what specific step of obedience is he calling you to take? I think we all know what that is in our lives. Usually we know, this is something God's called me to, and I'm not ready to fully jump in, right? It's scary, it takes a risk. The first big step that each of us need to take, and a lot of us have taken that in here, is to surrender our lives to him. And I'd be crazy not to speak the gospel when I speak. One of the speakers at the event last week butchered the gospel the second night, and um, it was pretty terrible. We were supposed to do the altar call, and there was nothing to respond to because this guy obliterated the gospel. And afterwards, I told the team, the evangelism team, I said, if you ever screw anything up, don't screw that up. (laughs) If there's ever anything you want to get right, get the gospel right. You can mess up everything else, but get that right, especially when you have several thousand people listening. Um, There aren't several thousand people here this morning, but I'll say again that Jesus loves every one of you more than you can imagine. His thoughts for you outnumber the sand of the seas. He's loved you with an everlasting love. He desires that you would live this life with him in relationship with him and have an eternity with him in heaven. 
And just as a side note, the history totally confirms that Jesus lived on this earth, that he conquered death, and that he rose again. The Bible does say, though, that each of us are sinful and that we're separated from God. And because of my own selfishness, I can't experience his love, his plan, the abundant life he offers, or the salvation that he provides. And left in my sin, the Bible says that hell is real and that I'll spend all of eternity there apart from him. That's a tragic thought. I shared this with a student once and he said, if that's true, why are you Christians always smiling? (laughs) I said, well, it gets better. There's good news. That is true. And the good news is that Jesus came and lived a perfect life that I never could. And he died on the cross for my sins to pay for them all so that anyone could say, Jesus, I accept you. And I I accept your gift of salvation and I put my faith and my trust in you. If you've never taken that step to say, I put my faith and my trust in you and I accept your gift of salvation, forgive me, come into my life, be my Savior and Lord, I ask you to do that today and to come talk to anybody that you know in this church that could help you take your next steps. Additionally, though, if you have taken that step, there's a radical life of discipleship that God's called us to, right? Of divorcing ourselves from everything that would distract us from what he's called us to. Saying, I'm fully committed. I'll follow you wherever you lead. The last hymn that we sang this morning said those same words. And that's this step of obedience that we need to take. In Luke 9, 23 through 24, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And I love the way Bill Bright worded this. He said, There are no unhappy, obedient Christians. Did you get that? There are no unhappy, obedient Christians. And he said, There are no happy, disobedient Christians. <laughs> Isn't that good? So the step of obedience that he's calling us to take today will lead to the greatest life of abundance and meaning that I can possibly have on this planet. And it's the only way that a Christian will truly be satisfied is in following Christ daily. So we talked about some of Jesus' teachings and I mentioned maybe he talked about the parable of the talents. Maybe he talked about God's kingdom Remember how he talked about the treasure in a field? And my, my last challenge this morning is to stop burying your talents because you all have talents that nobody else has and God wants to use them. And to start unburying treasure <laughs> because the treasure that, that he has for us, the life that he's called us to is so amazing. So we're going to close out praying, but I'd encourage you to, to take this to God and to do whatever he wants you to do with it, and to take the step that he wants you to take. And I know that God has so much for you guys in this church if you'll walk in this obedience. And I know it's the same for us and and anyone else. As we follow him in obedience, we'll be amazed at what he does. And I know Ignacio needs you. I know this community needs you. You're the light that needs to shine bright in this darkness. You're the light that the people around you desperately need to see. And I know that as you follow him, you'll shine brighter than ever before. So let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much that you're so patient with us and that when we go back to fishing, you keep gently coming alongside us, asking us to obey you and to follow you and to leave everything else 
and to do what you've called us to do. And God, I thank you that there's nothing else that satisfies. And I thank you, God, that there's nothing else that will lead to such a life of meaning and fulfillment. God, I pray that you would continue to guide us all this morning. I pray that you continue to heal Pastor Frank. And I pray that you do greater things than we imagine or expect like you promise you'll do in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 as we step out in obedience. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for going to the cross, for dying for our sins, God, so that we could even be here this morning. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.